You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, we're very excited to discuss how to learn to code a very important topic, and how to find your first job as a junior developer. We're going to be discussing this with Alex Booker. Alex is a self-taught developer and community manager at Scrimba. Alex, how are you doing today? Hey, Rob. I'm doing awesome. Thank you, mate. The sun is shining. I had a really nice uh, interview on my own podcast earlier today, and I'm happy to be here. So no complaints, really. Well, hopefully we can live up to the same wonderful experience you just had earlier today. <laughs> I have no doubt. But, be <laughs> but before we dive into that conversation, first, we're going to hear from today's sponsor, and that is Harman. The Harman Ignite Store Developers Portal is a developer hub dedicated to the Android automotive developer community. The portal provides developers the toolkits and APIs they need to create apps that influence the future of the in-vehicle experience. Check them out via HTTPS, ignitedevelopers.harman.com. All right, Alex, today we are happy to be talking about learning how to code and getting your first junior developer job. As somebody who does a lot of interviews uh, with junior developers, with developers of all stripes, this is certainly a topic I think about a lot. And as somebody mm. who first learned to code, I mean, I don't even want to admit it at this point, but probably close to 30 years ago, it's honestly a conversation that I've had with a lot of people because while I feel like uh, at times, I can remember what it's like to learn how to code. I think mm. in a lot of ways, I don't anymore. I think I can remember what it's like to be a new developer, but not necessarily to learn how to code. I'm kind of curious uh, what your journey and your path to becoming a developer looked like. You're absolutely right, by the way. I mean, often as new developers, we look up to the most senior people to learn from, and we're convinced they must be the right people to learn from because they've been doing it for so long. Um, but sometimes they just don't remember what it feels like not to understand an if statement or anticipate some of the questions around, okay, a bool is also a boolean. Like it just sounds obvious to them at that point. And so I think finding the right teachers is a, is a key part of finding success. That's actually a huge theme in my story, by the way, because when I went to school, I just didn't get along that well with the subjects or the teachers or anything like that. So I just didn't feel that inspired. But I always got along with computing somehow. It somehow came a little bit more naturally to me, maybe just because I found it fun and interesting. And I started to realize two things. Like one, I wasn't quite as like bad at learning things as I thought, just the teachers weren't very good. And the second thing was that, you know, when you grow up in a place like I did, which is a somewhat rural community, you pretty much get what you're given when it comes to teachers. Um, but the beauty of the internet is that you can pretty much learn from the best programmers and the best programming teachers irrespective of where in the world you are. And they might have a certain pedagogy or they might use analogies that resonate with you. You might just be more inspired by them and their lifestyle. It kind of struck me that like as a kid growing up in this rural area, because I was a teenager when I learned to code, I could watch lectures recorded at Stanford and learn from like the best professors. And I distinctly remember learning the basics of programming methodology that way. Of course, there are a lot of challenges that come after that. Like there, there are just so many things to learn on there, Rob. Like it's almost impossible to answer whether you go down the front-end route, the back-end routes, mobile development, something else. And within each of those, you have a plethora of options as well. It can be super overwhelming. And I definitely spin my wheels a lot, sort of trying a little bit of everything, not necessarily moving in the most linear direction. And so after you know trying and failing a bunch of different things, I landed on web development, um, where I eventually was fortunate to move to a city, uh, which everybody knows, called London, obviously. And uh, work as a junior developer for the first time. I guess, I guess the really interesting thing about how I got that job is that, you know, when you're a new coder, you don't necessarily know what it means to think like a programmer, right? And what it means to be a coder necessarily. I had this kind of misconception that to code was to like memorize everything and just regurgitate syntax and keywords. And if I had to rely on a reference, I would beat myself up like, oh, why can't, you know, I remember this thing already. Um, but actually as it happens, um, you know, a big part of being a developer is your ability to sort of uh, find the answers. Anyway, to try and remember those concepts better, I would make YouTube videos. And on one monitor, I would like put some code that I'd written before or found on a tutorial. And on the other monitor where I was recording, I would almost like copy the code line for line, almost pretending like I was doing it from memory. Because in my mind, that's how you would like remember the code better. 
in time, I sort of remembered and I learned that it is about going to the fundamentals and getting those right. And I made some better videos. And that was one of the ways actually that I got discovered and stood out as a junior developer, because in addition to my programming ability, which I'd been you know, working really hard on as many new developers do, we feel like we have something to prove, right? Without a degree um, or any supports or things like that. Um, this company actually really liked my YouTube channel and they thought, oh, you know, Alex is, you know, they can see a bit of my personality. They could see a bit of my passion. And they invited me to come in for an interview and the rest was history, I guess. It's really funny that you talked about, uh, you know, having experience growing up in a more rural area and having limited options to learn. I mean, that's sort of my situation as well. I mean, I grew up oh, really? in a small town uh, and the only programming book I could get out of the local library was one where the cover was partially ripped off. I used to have to borrow uh, old magazines uh, from the from the library that would have uh, code inserts in them. And I would copy yeah. the, the basic yeah. code directly out of it to you know, see what it did and things like that. So it, it sometimes can be very difficult to understand and to give advice to people that are coming up in this age, where, as you said, you can uh, audit courses at some of the most prestigious universities in the world, right? There yeah. are countless hours or hundreds or thousands of hours of instructional content, both for free and premium, you know, on multiple different platforms. And you would think then that the answer to the question, how do I learn how to code is just, you know, walk out into the internet and let all of the content hit you. But I think in a lot of ways, that's what makes this topic really hard is that because there are so many options, and unfortunately, so many opinions on the one correct way to learn how to code mm -hmm. that I think it is very easy to start walking two steps down one path, then turn and try two steps down another path, and then yeah. realize that ultimately you just kept shuffling back and forth in the same spot and not really advancing too far. I'm curious if you if you agree with that assessment. No, you're absolutely right. Like in 2022, there is no shortage of information, right? Like all the information is out there. We can be sure of that in every format, whether it's a reference talk, a book, a tutorial, a video, a course, a conference talk, a podcast, like it's there. The real difficult part is how to sort of wield that information and put it to use. And it's, you know, it's a shame, it's tricky because on one hand, this is, you know, the best time to learn development because you have the most resources, but it's also kind of the worst time to learn development because you have so many options and you end up in like this analysis paralysis type of situation. Like I said, in my case, I spun my wheels essentially, you know, it feels like you're making progress. It feels like you're covering a lot of ground when you're covering a lot of new technologies and things. Um, but what I would implore anybody listening who's interested in getting into tech to remember is, is to really start with your objective and ask yourself what it is precisely you want to be doing. Because probably there's a good reason, right? Like maybe you are interested in working with the most cutting edge tech. Maybe you want to just get your first new developer job and that could be transformative in your life. Um, maybe you just want to work with smart people all day in your local area. The more specific you can be, that would allow you to go onto things like job sites and kind of field the markets and see what specific things they're looking for from a candidate. And that can inform specifically what you learn next, improving your chance of reaching that goal. Because if you're learning the skills that satisfy at least a good portion of you know, job descriptions, probably you don't want to pick one specific one because by the time you get there, um, it might not be around and you, you want to hedge your bets anyway. Um, but the idea being ultimately that the more specific you can be about what you want to achieve, um, the better your likelihood of finding success. And it also helps immensely to find something of a curriculum or a roadmap to help guide you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there is a question as to what sort of discipline or specialization almost you want to pursue, whether that's front-end development or, or something else. Um, from that, it would benefit you enormously to find a course or a curriculum that not only lays you out the skills in a specific understandable order, um, but helps you get some indication as to when is the time to move on from one skill to the other. By now, perhaps if you're learning web development, you've heard of technologies like React and Angular and the debates between them. There's lots of exciting tech like Gatsby and Next.js. And whilst you see people you look up to talking about learning them, that might not be the right thing for you as you may wish to focus on the fundamentals. And so when you're focused on the fundamentals, it does raise a question. And I think this is one problem with roadmaps sometimes as well is they give you a good overview, but it doesn't make it clear like when do you go to the next thing? Like when do you know enough HTML and CSS to move on to JavaScript? When, when do you know enough JavaScript to move on to React? Like that's a difficult question to answer. 
And, and one thing that's true among all people, anybody who's learning anything and new developers too, it's just, we are bad at objectively measuring how much we know. <laughs> like it's really hard to know how much progress you've truly made. And on social media, which is great for one reason and that you can look up to and connect with awesome devs, um, can also be damaging because you end up comparing yourself with others and thinking, mm, you know, maybe I should know this, maybe I should do that. Maybe I'm missing out on this. All that to say, Rob, like you're right. There's so much like information out there. Um, it's funny then that it's a lot about managing your emotions and setting good goals and having good systems like a study schedule or a support network or a study buddy or something um, to find success. Because again, you know, it can take as for how long it takes to learn to code. Some people will see articles that say, oh, it took three or four months. And then when you take longer, you feel bad. Everybody's starting from a different place with like different goals and different, you know, proclivities and things they're naturally good at and different challenges. So of comparing yourself to others is not a good idea when you're learning to code, but no matter what, it will feel like a marathon more so than a sprint. And so it's important you sort of have those systems and set milestones and work in a disciplined way towards your goals. This is something that you just don't know when you first get into it. Oftentimes people go down the wrong path for a while, as I did before you realize how to go about this effectively. And that's one thing I try and address really on my podcast and by speaking with someone like yourself today, Rob, and it's just if anybody listening who's earlier on their journey can learn from those mistakes, I'm sure they'll be happier and more productive because of it. You know, it's funny because I work as a, as a consultancy. So this thought is a, is a software consultancy. And so we work on a lot of different projects. So you get to see people learning new things a lot as a consultant, mm -hmm. because you're constantly onboarding with a new client, learning a new domain, learning a new technology. And one of the things that you'll really see is that it takes several months, four or five, six months. Sometimes some developers won't get fully, fully mastered on a project until a year. And so this idea that people would be coming from zero coding knowledge to full coding knowledge and have an expectation that that could happen in three to four months, you know, it's, it's, you can get a job in that time. People do it, right? So, but, mm. but know that even once you've landed that job, this is but the first step on a much longer road to continue to lay down those, those skills. That may be enough to get you through the door to get you a ticket on the ride, so to speak. But uh, just know that even senior developers starting on a new tech stack or working at a new job are not going to be successful at that job for probably double that time frame. So yeah, it, it is, you have to have a lot of grace with yourself in this scenario that uh, three to four months is an aggressive time frame to learn anything, any new skill, let alone uh, software development or software coding. So, I, you know, I, I did want to jump back briefly to something about the learning structures, because I thought this was a topic that you brought up that was very interesting to me. And it was something that I had wanted to talk about, because I recall working with somebody that once... Uh, blew my mind. So he used to bring a book in to read every day at lunch. And uh, I asked him, I said, you know, why do you do this? He said, this is how I learn. And uh, I didn't, I wouldn't go to school. I wouldn't have gone to college if it wasn't important. If getting a degree wasn't important for landing us, what was at the time, the only way to get a software development job was to have a, 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 a college degree. This is much less true now. Um, mm. But at the time it was universally true. And so he said, I wouldn't have gone to college except to get that paper. Uh, I learn best by, um, by reading and by, by being self-taught and self-directed. Now me, I'm the exact opposite. I went to get a master's degree. I don't even necessarily care that I have the paper, but I did it because I learned so much better in structured environments. Mm. I love having curriculum. I love having someone setting the tone and I get to play against the parameters of that. I don't know what it is. That's just how I learn best. And I think when, as you were saying, when you are in an environment with so much content, I think knowing yourself is actually step zero. It's the first yeah. step is to know what your optimal learning path is, because not only is there a lot of information, there's a lot of people out there telling you what the one way, the best way to do it. Oh, is. yeah. You have point. to go to college. You have to go to a code, a boot camp. You have to mm -hmm. be self-taught. No, you have to know how you learn best because that's how you're going to get there most effectively. Yeah, that is mad, isn't it? Because those examples are so anecdotal. Like on Twitter, you follow a few hundred people and that forms your whole like worldview about developers when actually it's a lot more vast and it doesn't apply to you as an individual. Yeah, simply what worked for someone else might not work for you. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, I think 
that is definitely going to be something that people want to do as they're as the, even before they learn how to code is to learn how you learn um and and to lean into that i mean try different things but uh, you know i i work with somebody else too coders code differently too mm. you know i there's a lot of coding archetypes uh people that um i'm more in this camp are I like to say they're measure twice, cut once people. A lot of thinking, a lot of diagramming, a lot of designing, and then they build. And I know other people who, even when they wanted to do planning, the way that they did planning was they built the thing really rough with a lot of broken pieces, but they got it all connected. And in the process of doing that, they learned all the parts that they would have to do. And then they would tear all that prototype down and then build the real thing after mm -hmm. the, with all that consideration. So it's not even like software coding or software programming is one thing. There are styles even of programming and coding. Now, yeah. there's no way for you as somebody new to coding to know what your style is. But uh, but to know that even as you're learning to code, when you look over and look at someone else's paper during the test, so to speak, they might be doing it in a totally different way. And that's valid for them. And your way is valid for you. And I think that's another thing that gets people really confused as they're learning to code is they feel like they're different than the people around them. And they oh, don't know yeah. if they're right or I, wrong. I, I agree completely. Just that, I mean, we are just different people, right? Some people are type A, some people are type B, some people are neurodivergent. Some people grew up in a sort of academic sense and they prefer a certain style. Um, sometimes we like what we find familiar. So if you were the type of person to study for tests a certain way, that might influence how you do projects. If you're a bit more free roaming and creative, you might wish to just prototype right there on the keyboard. I mean, absolutely, you have to find what works for you. What I would say, and I wonder if you would agree, Rob, is that that there are when it comes to learning something new, there are some things which kind of I think, in my experience, are universally quite good for developers. I mean, let me start by saying something that's not good, but a lot of people fall into the trap of, and that is like um, regurgitating knowledge, right? Have you ever tried that to learn something and you just like reread a textbook a few times and it doesn't quite stick? So you reread it again. Maybe you highlight it on your Kindle, but you never go back to the notes. And what you find is it's almost like drawing in the sand. It's there today, but it's gone tomorrow. I agree. <laughs> I mean, anybody that uh, I'm, 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 I'm quite a bit away from remembering my school days, but I do remember that it would often be the case you'd be sitting there watching a lecture and saying, yeah, of course, that makes complete sense. And then you open up your homework and you go to problem one to apply what you just made total sense and you do not know where to start. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think just memorizing something and just being able to spit it out provides no context of that thing um, and certainly doesn't mean that you know how to apply it. It just means you heard it, which is a good first step, but uh, it is but just the first step. Yeah, and, and school sometimes promotes this, right? Because to pass a test, you can get away, maybe not at like the A star grade, but like the B star and maybe just scraping an A grade. You can just like cram everything in your brain like a sponge. The next day it leaks, right? And you don't remember it. And okay, you pass the test, that's good. And maybe there'll be some residual knowledge. At least you know where to find the answers. Um, but as a developer, at the end of the day, you get hired and you build projects that haven't been built before, probably, and you solve new problems. At least they are somewhat unique to the environments in which they're being built. And, and for that, you really need to have um, a sort of more deeper understanding. And, and so there's a really great book, Rob, you probably encountered is it's a little bit more popular nowadays, I think, called Make It Stick. And there's also a course on Coursera about learning how to learn. And these are really interesting both because they talk a little bit about the psychology and the science of like how we remember things. And, and what they call out right away is just how regurgitating doesn't work. They talk about how learning shouldn't be easy. Like sometimes we try and make learning easy for ourselves. Like we do the thing that just feels a little bit easier. Like maybe we, I mean, I, I certainly... I can remember watching Pluralsight modules on one monitor and playing a game on the other one thinking, well, you know, I might as well get something out of this. Um, but you don't actually learn anything that way. Of course not. And so what it really comes down to is like your ability to recall information and also test yourself. And in a sense, when you test yourself, you're also recalling information. And I can only, you know, put it simply when I say that as a new developer, the best way to achieve that is through building your own projects. Because whenever you're building a new project, well, presumably there won't be a tutorial for exactly what you're trying to build. You're going to have to dig deep and it's going to feel uncomfortable to rely on some of your, uh, some of the things you've learned previously. And if you struggle, you know, that doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? You can always go back and refresh your memory and then try again. 
I, I know a lot of new developers and I, I certainly feel this way learning new technologies today sometimes. I'm not immune to it by any means. Um, but you think you're making good progress with something and you come back to it a few days later and you don't quite remember it how you, how you hoped you would. Like you have to look at more things than you think. I don't get as frustrated as I used to, but I, I speak with a lot of new developers, both on my podcast and on Twitter and things. And it's quite a common feeling of like, oh, I really, you know, it's, I really wish I was remembering this by now. Like something's not quite right. Um, but it's perfectly okay and normal to forget things and go back and, and relearn them because you won't be relearning from scratch. Like you'll have some residual knowledge and moreover, you're kind of like reinforcing your memory. And also as you build projects and you, you use this word, Rob, which I think is quite like astute, uh, it's just context. Like if you just try and remember a phone number over and over and over again, like you might just remember it for a second. And um, if you think about it within context, like whose number it is, maybe you create a mnemonic sort of system to remember the number. And maybe you kind of close your eyes and imagine it written somewhere. In a project, it might be, oh, well, you know, in the tutorial, I saw they built this function. Maybe I can apply that to my project. And then even three six even years later right you just remember it better because it has that context attached to it it's not just you like arbitrarily searching your brain like a piece of computer memory you're sort of following a path of like oh i used it here i used it there and that can help you remember what you're learning a lot better and be more effective as a developer yeah i i i agree with that you know that's 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 super interesting i think uh regurgitating things is probably not the right way to go. Uh, but, um, you know, one of the ways a, a similar parallel thing that is useful, and this is great at all levels of coding, whether you're brand new or very senior is to tell it to somebody else. Mm. Uh, so don't just say it in your head. Um, but say it to somebody else, say it to a rubber duck, right? This is the origin of the term rubber ducking, by the way, if you've ever heard it, say it to somebody, explain it in the process of explaining it you're going to have to know it uh, because the person's going to ask questions, clarifying questions. And you're going to say, I don't know the answer to that. And you're going to look it up <laughs> and then you're going to know it and know it deeply. So there's, there's that uh, way of, of um, learning as well. But I would say to anybody that's frustrated, I'd say probably that they feel like they should remember more. I know you've probably heard that all software engineers Google. It's like the, their greatest tool is Google. <laughs> sure. What does that mean, right? It is true. And I know probably people understand that to be true, but I think some people don't necessarily get the meaning of it. And the way that I've explained it to junior developers is the idea of learning things often is, is not to know it the first time you hear it. It's to put down that foundation, as you said, so that the second time you encounter the topic, you, you remember, wait, there's something, there's something about this. Yeah. And then you go look for it. The second time you find it, it's going to take you a little while, but at least you'll know it exists. The third time you're going to remember the search term you used. And the fourth time you're going to remember the resource you lose. And maybe you bookmarked it this time. Like, yeah, yeah. yes, developers go back to things all the time. It's about laying those foundations. So you remember there's an answer to find here. I mean, that's, that's how I understand it anyways. Well, that's when you sort of go to Google and the link is already purple, for example. You're like, oh, I've, I've been here before. And in cases of bloggers, sometimes they find their own article. I was going to say, that's the boss later. stage. <laughs> that's, that's the big boss stage, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'll just reiterate your point, Rob, um, which is that if you're struggling to remember something or understand it, explaining it to someone else and, you know, a rubber duck is good, a friend is even better. Um, you know, what I found very useful is making presentations uh, for YouTube or applying to speak at a local meetup because, and, and I think actually the more interactive, the better in a way, because if you speak at a meetup, for example, it's a bit of pressure, isn't it? And you start to wonder like, wait, if someone asks me to explain this a bit more, like, will I have a good answer for them? And then you realize, oh, your understanding wasn't quite as good as it could have been in the first place. It sort of reveals important gaps in your knowledge as they could be gaps in the foundation. You don't want to build on a weak foundation necessarily. Um, so absolutely, I would encourage people to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I, that kind of parallels with or sort of dovetails into the conversation about social media. You know, I think social media certainly is not without its uh, downfalls and its its pitfalls, but it is invaluable to people that are learning how to code, in my opinion. Um, you know, friend of the podcast, Catherine Peterson, uh, is just an amazing uh, software engineer who I believe now still works at GitHub. And I remember in February of 2021, I'd seen her posting some, some just some side projects that she was working on and just asking for feedback. Like, I, I did this, what do people think? You know, and I, I saw it in one of like a column of search terms that I looked at and I was like, oh, you know, here's some feedback. 
And I followed her because I said, oh, it's cool to follow new developers and just see what they're getting up to. Pretty soon she tried her hand at making a course and uh, shared that and got some people that bought her course. She then tried to make another app that helped people make uh, readmes for their GitHub uh, prof for their GitHub profiles and for their GitHub projects. Then that got traction and got her noticed by uh, Sarah Drasner, who retweeted her. And then she ended up getting a job at GitHub. And this whole process from when I saw her asking for some feedback, now she was already a software developer at this point, but from when she was asking for that feedback to when she had was just shooting off to the stratosphere was was uh, about four months. <laughs> you know, wow. the process can be, uh, you know, results not typical, but the process can be quite expedient if you are, as Sean Wang says, learning in public. If you are out yeah. there uh, putting out those things because you'll have a pressure on yourself to to put effort into it. You have that accountability and, and people notice that effort is noticed um, and, and can really help you out. Yeah, I like the learning in public idea a lot because in a sense, it encourages you to learn the right way. Like you can't just like watch a YouTube video at 2x and okay, maybe you can tweet and say, oh, I watched the video and that's okay. But if you were to take notes, for example, and then elaborate on those notes as a way to incorporate some recall and context building into that exercise. Well, you know, because you're thinking about learning in public, you now start to think about publishing these things and polishing them a little bit. That helps you learn Moreover, I think another idea that Sean introduced is this idea of like a learning exhaust. And that's really helpful because as somebody evaluating you, maybe an employer, they kind of get the vibe of like, okay, you're serious. Like you've been doing this for a while. You've been doing it the right way. You've been putting in a lot of efforts. If you don't have a computer science degree, which in a lot of ways represents your commitment to a subject, right? Uh, having a learning exhaust is another great way you can increase an employer's confidence within you. I agree. That's a perfect segue to a topic that I think a lot of people are interested in here in the second half of our topic about landing your first job. Now, we live in an environment right now uh, where we hear, I don't know if you hear this, I hear this all the time, stories of junior developers that are, that are going through dozens and dozens, some even over 100 interviews before they finally land their first job. But I also then talk to hiring managers who cannot literally get enough developers through the door. And Fees for uh, recruiters are, are at the highest they've ever been. Salaries are rising. There's still open seats at so many companies. And it just doesn't feel like these two things should be true at the same time. Mm. We should not have people struggling so hard to find a job and people struggling so hard to find developers. So in your opinion, what, what's going on here? Why is it so hard for junior developers to land their first jobs? Would you would you care to differentiate sorts of junior developers and more experienced developers who who might be able to hit the ground running um, as soon as they get into the company? Because in my experience, and although it kind of sucks to hear as a new developer, I think a lot of that demand comes on the more intermediate to senior side at this time. Is that fair to say, do you think? I think that's where most companies are are well situated to add people, right? I think there's a conversation about why companies are set up that way and whether they should be. But I agree with you that a lot of companies are not necessarily set up with the ability to onboard sometimes brand new developers. Junior, and what's interesting is you can even differentiate junior developers sometimes from new developers. Mm, uh, we're true. learning that there's even two different classes even on the junior scale. People, like you said, who are through their four-month intensive learning program, they're able to code, but yet they're still putting down the rudiments of that versus maybe people that are a year into their career or maybe have started to lay down more of that foundation, but are still junior in the overall scope of things. So I think it's even getting complicated by there being two categories, even on mm -hmm. the, the more junior side. I think there's two things to unpack there. Like the first is that if you are a new developer or a junior developer, and just remember, these titles are kind of arbitrary in some ways anyway, is they're kind of determined by companies That's a whim. What is a junior at one company might be an intern at another and so on. It's perfectly okay to play the numbers game and apply to hundreds of jobs if you, if you wish. I would call that more of like a shotgun approach and that you go broad. I personally favor just as an individual, um, a sniper approach where I hone in on a few companies I'm especially interested in and like demonstrate why I'm a good fit and my passion for the subject. Um, but neither is better or worse, just a matter of preference. What I would say is like, don't be deterred, right? Based on your experience of what you hear, 
Because, okay, yes, you just need one company to take a chance on you, first and foremost. But also, rejection is not necessarily a reflection of you. They might, you have no idea what's happening internally at those companies. Maybe by the time you apply, they've already filled the role or have someone very late in the hiring pipeline. Um, it's okay to play those kind of numbers and not find success. Very few people have like a high success percentage ratio doing that. And that's part of the numbers game. Um, as for like the other end on the hiring manager side and, and in terms of, you know, the sort of the supply and demand issue almost, almost among developers, it's a very interesting marketplace right now for a variety of reasons and, and largely influenced by the pandemic. I mean, you would have basically thought that as more and more people go online, the web gets more popular. We need more developers to support that. Why do junior developers struggle? Well, the other part of the web and everybody going online is that just companies have more money, generally speaking, and they can hire more intermediate to senior developers um, should they choose. And there might be some reasons they, they do that, right? For one thing, uh, they might be trying to capitalize on a market opportunity as the economy and things change or as more people move towards different types of technology platforms. And for them, the cost of onboarding a junior is not quite the same. It's not worth it to them compared to onboarding a more experienced developer who can arguably hit the ground running more quickly and not have to, to learn the tech stacks. And they might be more adept at learning a code base and things like that. Um, before I go any further, let me say that's not necessarily the end of the world for a new developer. There's still a lot of ways um, to find success, but it is one reason why there is this kind of surge in more experienced developers. And it is a bit of a shame, really, because there are companies out there that hire juniors and in hiring them and training them and providing them with a great experience, um, they are almost banking on you staying at the company for a certain period of time. Like imagine the company who hires juniors, trains them up, and every 12, 13 months, those same candidates get sniped essentially by companies with bigger budgets. That company's left feeling a bit like, oh, that doesn't feel productive to me. And so really there is a responsibility on these bigger companies to hire and train juniors because you know we could be headed towards a problem really where there aren't enough sort of developers of one or two years experience which play a critical role within companies. I think the fortunate thing is that the, the, these these times are changing a little bit, I would say. It's very difficult as really anybody, and I've tried my best to, to build sort of market data. We only can really rely on anecdotal things. And for that reason, it's hard to paint a very clear and accurate picture of the industry. Um, but one factor is that hiring people remotely can be challenging. There will be the, you know... Um, let me think, like the base camps and the GitLabs of the world who have been hiring people remotely since the beginning. And they were perfectly poised to continue operating business as usual when the pandemic started. But for many, many companies who were hiring junior developers, um, who were also hiring junior developers, I should say, they might have to make that whole switch to working remotely whilst also keeping their business afloat. And this idea of bringing in new talent and training them up just you know, fell by the wayside a little bit. It's like it just wasn't quite as much of a priority um, if they were in a position to hire existing developers to get the job done. Uh, but, and this doesn't just apply to junior developers, by the way, like some experienced developers struggle to onboard for various reasons. All of that to say, uh, companies are starting to adapt a bit better. And likewise, we are looking at more hybrid opportunities and things. And so I see a lot of good reasons for, for this to change going forward. What I always remind people, and I, I think about myself, is like, you know, none of this applies to you as an individual. It is true that if you look at the market data in terms of salaries, which is quite tangible for senior developers and intermediate developers, that is on the rise, which kind of represents a sort of low supply of developers and a high demand of developers. And we often hear about recruiters um, struggling to find senior candidates and so on. Um, so we can look at things like that. Um, but as a junior, there's still plenty of opportunities out there, frankly speaking, and you're absolutely eligible and capable of getting one. You shouldn't be deterred by things you see in the you know, on Twitter or in the news potentially, because you can't control those things. Like all you can do is try and be the best candidate you can be and try and make yourself stand out against other developers. That's going to steer you right no matter what's happening in the world or in the marketplace. I agree. You know, it's it's, it's a good point. I, I think there's another part of this, which as someone that's done a lot of interviews and does a lot of hiring, one of the things which has been really fascinating to watch over the last few years has been the rise of develop of, of new developers where coding is a second career. So they've had a very successful career elsewhere and then they've become software developers. And what you notice when you interview a lot of these candidates is that they come with a full set of skills that are not necessarily coding. So they are junior in their coding skills, but they have amazing communication skills, a great attention to detail, you know, all these things. And you realize a lot of times that that is a secret sauce that so many times I think it's tempting when you're trying to get your first job. And I'm not going to speak, 
I can't speak for everybody. There's so many different types of companies hiring in so many different types of ways. You're going to be able to come up with a lot of experiences that run counter to my advice. But uh, a lot of times people approach the interview process and trying to get a job as a thing they have to get right. Uh, they mm -hmm. have to be able to do something, reach a certain bar. And I think it's a lot more, you know, I've, I've been able to work with a personal trainer uh, recently. And what he'll say a lot is stop trying to go fast, do the form right and develop in that form. And that's really yeah. stuck with me. And I think that's true here a lot, which is I think a lot of developers when they're trying to get this first job, they're trying to show they can do a lot and they can do, put a bunch of stuff into their code exercise or uh, speak about a bunch of technologies. But what often is missed is that when you're hiring, you're looking for the fundamentals, especially at the low end, at the junior end. Sometimes it's almost irrelevant what you know. What's key is do you show the fundamentals? Do you show control over the things you do know? Like if all mm. you if if you only know how to use a certain subset of React, or if you only know how to write HTML, or I don't know why I say only. If if you just do HTML and CSS, you don't do frameworks at all, and your code exercise, then do those things but do them as well and as carefully and as to form as you can uh, because that form is, is what is often called potential. People see the potential in your discipline, in your form, in your control, and it's almost irrelevant what the result is. It's, it's important because they say, oh my goodness, if this is what they can do with this level of knowledge, I'm going to just dump knowledge into this person and they're going to start turning out amazing work. And so I think sometimes when um, junior developers struggle in interviews, it's often because they went too far ahead to too, put too much out there and it lacked control or lacked attention to detail. And when you're being evaluated, it's like, well, if they can't care enough to control the things they do know, well, what's going to happen when I dump more knowledge into them? It's just going to be all over the place. So I, I think sometimes... Um, people can sometimes be a little confused what might be expected from them in these interview processes. I don't know if, if you agree or if you've seen similar. You, you said it yourself very rightly earlier in this episode that when you get your first dev job, that's when like the real learning begins, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I'm kind of curious, I guess, for people that are, you know, looking um, to, you know, get, this dev job, then what, you know, what else should they be looking to do? What else should they be keeping an eye on when they, you know, maybe they have that interview scheduled. Uh, maybe somebody listening to this is on their way to an interview and they're listening to this in the car. Um, you know, what, what are we suggesting that they do now, you know, this close to, to, to that kind of a situation? That's a that's a brilliant question. It's it's really interesting to me because often we break the job search into two phases, right? The first is like just getting your foot in the door and getting noticed, which could be your LinkedIn, your resume, your portfolio, and those things. I don't think you're spoken about as much. Like, what do you do gearing up for that interview? I, I think you'll be nervous, and that's understandable. But just remember that an interview is often a two-way street, and it shouldn't feel like an interrogation. Like, there should be a good vibe there. Like you should be excited to talk about and share your experiences and your ambitions and they should make you feel heard and all that good stuff. And so you're really looking to approach it. Like it could be tempting to feel like you're about to get interrogated and grilled. Um, but in my opinion, it shouldn't feel that way. It should feel like a nice conversation and you can actually uh, sort of give what you get in a way. Like if you approach it with a bit of an open body language and some confidence, um, that's going to help you and just, you know, show a bit of your personality and demonstrate that you are a very uh, sort of nice person to work with because at the end of the day you know you will be evaluated technically and there are lots of different ways this can happen sometimes employers will be convinced by the projects they've seen online and they're really just trying to verify that you know to an extent that it was you who wrote them but also trying to understand your thought process behind them that can take all the boxes for them Generally speaking, if you're going into the interview, they're going to have a high confidence in your technical ability as a new developer already. What they're really trying to evaluate in a lot of ways is your personality and your ability to gel within a team. Lest we forget, the people we work with are some of the people we spend the most time with. And the value of being likable is often understated. Like you're going to be disagreeable and grumpy and you're going to insist on doing it your way. You're probably not going to find success, especially in such an early position in your career. People don't like working with um, brilliant assholes even later in their career either, by the way. And so demonstrating that humility, I think, is so important. And there are lots of like, you know, 
you know, you have to you have to consider why you're there. And the reason you're there most likely is to earn an opportunity to continue to learn. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with like acknowledging that you don't know something. And and that might cause you to trip and feel like, oh, I've bombed it or something. Um, but I don't know about you, Rob, but like I don't know stuff all the time, but I know where to look them up. And so even in an interview environment, although you may or may not be allowed to, you know, Google or stuff like that, you can always explain like, hmm, I have this inclination of where to go. And, and you know, maybe I would go and find the answer here. Maybe I'll Google these terms. Um, could I maybe just have some help with the keyword? Like, that's okay, because if you're in an actual job, you know, pretending you know everything isn't going to help you be productive within the team, right? So demonstrating that humility and asking questions and asking good questions is a skill and it's a soft skill. Um, just finally, you know, if you really don't know, the best thing you can do is say you don't know. Like it doesn't, you know, I understand most people who do this and maybe blag a little bit. They don't do it through any ill intention. It's just a nerves thing probably. Um, but it doesn't come across the best compared to if you can, again, just, you know, sit up tall, keep your body language open and just explain like, I actually haven't encountered this yet, but I'd love to learn more. Like that is that kind of answer is going to get you so much further, I think. I agree, right? So some of the advice you hear people give is is fake it till you make it, right? And I, I I like that advice, but not the way that it's often perceived. Some people think that you need to, this is like a regurgitation thing, right? They go in and they, I got these answers and I'm going to, yeah, I have experience with that. And I can speak to that based on, I'm spit out some things I heard. Um, and I say that's the wrong way. But I also hear the opposite thing come up a lot, which is people that are too self-deprecating. They are too oh, yeah. quick to admit they don't know something. They excuse every answer they give as, well, I don't know very much. I haven't, I haven't done much with it. And that lack of confidence comes through. So when I'm coaching people through giving these answers, what I usually tell them is, is don't try to say you know something you don't, because that will come off as uh, you being a bit full of yourself and interviewers will detect it immediately. Yeah. It is very hard to hide when you have, when somebody has control over a, a, a topic when somebody does not. It's, 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 it's way easier than you think. It comes out in every word you say. Especially so, as a programmer, because we're logical people and we'll ask why until we find the, the limit of your understanding. It's, it's so much easier to grasp than you think. Uh, and it, it's actually been humbling to me to realize when I can hear it from other people to, to be careful of it myself when I'm speaking externally. But uh, so you, you may not know, but that's okay. Say what you do know. So somebody might, you know, I, I was coaching somebody through an Angular interview and they, I said, you might get a question about what dependency injection is. And this person hadn't gone to college, hadn't studied the pattern, wasn't particularly familiar with that in Angular other than that it existed. And I said, you might not know, but just talk about what you do know. Well, I know that it's kind of how things get into my components. You know, I put things in my constructor and then I'm able to use them. Oh, that's interesting. How did it get there? Oh, well, I guess that's a good question. I guess Angular gave it to me. How did it know what to give you? You're creating these hooks for the interviewer to keep bringing you forward. And mm -hmm. you're not saying things you don't know. And you're not saying you don't know. You are being a participant in this journey. And that looks so amazing. You didn't know the answer, but you said what you know. And that gave the interviewer the hooks to grab onto to keep yes. going with you, to see if you could get there with them and think through topics. So you know, don't fake it, uh, but don't just give up. Um, say what you know and let the interviewer help you through the rest of it. I, I like the idea of giving the interviewer hooks. I've never thought about that, but that's something I will share as advice going forward, I think. Like, that's a smart idea. Um, you know, in general, same with your projects and your portfolio. You want to leave just a few questions unturned just to stimulate and spark the conversation. When I, when I was talking about, um, put, you know, pushing the limits of your understanding, I'll just add, Rob, because I think people might feel reassured to know that some of the best interviewers, they, they will push your understanding. Like they will try and find the boundary of your knowledge. Like that's part of their job. Like, okay, I know what you know. Let's find out what you don't know. Like where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? And then the worst thing you can do is like choke essentially and really start doubting yourself because it's part of their job actually to do it. And I'll, I'll just say one last thing um, with regards to the interview process. And that is to show that you care. Like people like to work with people who care. 
And I can remember some interviews where I've been on the interviewing side and the ones that have been most disappointing are when the person just obviously doesn't care and they don't even know what the product does. Or you try and help them, you give them these hooks. Like, so if you, you know, give them every opportunity and they just haven't researched it. And, and so my best advice would be to like read all of their website, all their copy, try and get a good understanding. You can latch on to things like recent events. So say they raised a new round of funding, for example, you can ask, oh, what projects is that going to accelerate, for example? Or if you see that they collaborated with someone, you can express, you know, look for, and I say this, sincerely like you don't want to be um, manipulating the situation at all you want to be looking for things that genuinely you find interesting and exciting and um, because if you don't find any maybe it's not the right company to work at right same when you reach out to people and you send cold messages like it's very easy to write something generic but they will see right through it but if they've wrote to the post that resonates with you or made a piece of content that blew your mind you can let them know and they will appreciate it and i think be more likely to reciprocate as you might find in an interview as well um, another little tiny bonus tip is just to research their competitors a bit because all companies to some extent are a bit competitive and it leads to some very easy questions like, oh, you know, I saw your competitor does this. Is that something you thought about? And they'll be like, wow, you've looked into our competitors. Like it just speaks volumes to like how much you really care and it won't, you know, get you a clean sheet, right? You will still have to demonstrate some technical knowledge and to your point, Rob, potential. Um, but it's all about, you know, these little wins that add up in a way that give you the best chance of success. And honestly, a great thing to note is that the interview process is just broken. Interviewing's <laughs> hard, everybody. It's it's really hard. It is imperfect. Okay, I do it both in a technical sense. I was in a fraternity in college. I know how ridiculous things like recruitment and rush can be. It is just hard to evaluate people. If you have to realize that when somebody misses on you, it could be that you need to get better, and there's things that you could do. But you know what? Those people also beat themselves up when you go on to have an amazing career and they missed on you. Right. These people yeah. are nervous and they want to get this right. Uh, and the process is just hard. Uh, and so sometimes people ask dumb questions. They, they try to, they think that something gives them signal, but actually it increases bias or it gives That's them right. nothing. Uh, and these are not excusable, but they, but it's true. And so I think, you know, if, if you are, uh, failing a lot of interviews, it's good to internalize some of that, but it's also, you know, just to realize that coming in as a junior developer, it, it's it's difficult, period. Uh, it's difficult to stand out, period. And a lot of times these uh, companies do not calibrate their interviews well to hiring on potential. They are looking, they, they claim to be hiring junior developers, but really they're just looking for mid and senior developers that want to take a junior salary. That's right. Uh, and, well. yeah. and so, you know, it, it's hard to say, don't get down about it, but it is it is to say that, it, you are not working against a flawless intentional system. You are working yeah. in a very difficult, flawed system and trying to still get through the best way yeah. that you can. Yeah. So, from, from like a commercial perspective, like employees are most technology companies' um, sort of biggest expenditure. And so, when you hire someone, it is like an enormous commitment, depending on what country you're in as well, by the way, as some countries will have different um, employment laws and things that make it easier or harder um, to switch out team members and things like that. So they often want like an incredibly high level of confidence. And if you're in the hiring position, it's probably not your company. You probably have a boss. You probably have a team who look up to you and rely on you to bring in the right people. If you bring in the wrong person, that could basically affect your reputation within the company to some extent. And you also feel like you need to be able to coach and mentor them and guide them. And as a junior developer, by the way, this is one of the biggest assets you have because you're a blank canvas. Like you can essentially adapt to the environment and, and learn habits and things um, there. It's so true what you said as well, Rob. And I, I think it's a great point to reiterate. It's just that it is very, with this pressure, firstly, it's then very difficult to evaluate people in an objective way. Like, in a, you know, how, how long do you really spend with someone during a whole interview process? And I, I think bigger companies might draw this out for this exact reason. They're just trying to increase their level of confidence. So what people tend to do is rely on bias. And if you uh, look like them or you think like them, then they probably think they're okay. They're in the interviewing position so they can feel confident about your ability to do well in the job. If you have the same educational background as them, it's not just like that either. Like maybe they at one point took a chance on a junior or they already knew a junior who worked at the company before them who has a background that matches yours. And they kind of put two and two together and they're like, okay, 
that worked for them, it can work for this new candidate as well. But suffice to say, it's just incredibly biased and, and logical at times. And it's not necessarily a reflection of you. Like there are times where you, you know, maybe could have done better and that's okay. Like maybe you could have brushed up on your technical knowledge or maybe you fumbled and just forgot your discipline and it happens to the best of us. Um, but it's not necessarily a reflection of you if you don't find success. And then what people often say and cliche, though it might sound, uh, you know, rejection is redirection. And I can virtually promise you that at some point, whether it's in a few months or a year or a bit longer, you'll be exactly where you want to be. You'll be like doing this job that you love and you'll think, wow, what happened if I, what would have happened if I got that job? <laughs> like maybe I wouldn't be in this like great place right now. And that's something I hope you can take solace in. I think that's a great message of hope. Uh, to, to wind down on here. I know we could go on this topic all day long, but uh, we will have to put this conversation down for the time being. Alex, for the people that are listening at home, why don't you give them a sense of where they can find you online if they've got more questions or if they like what they've heard here and they want to keep this conversation going? So I'm on Twitter as at Booker Coates. I hope you can link it in the show notes for people's convenience. And I work on a few things, mostly tied to the work I do at Scrimba, which is an online coding school, essentially, where you can go from learning or not knowing any or very little code to being able to code front-end websites at a hireable level. And we compare ourselves very much so to a bootcamp, although it's much more affordable and you can do things at your own pace. A lot of the things Rob and I spoke about in terms of remembering what you learn and pedagogy and having a support network and things, these are like deeply ingrained in everything we do. And, and part of that is also the Scrimba podcast, which I host, where I take turns. Basically, one week I'll interview a newly hired developer and I'll ask them, like, what was your study schedule? You know, what did you do when you when did you feel ready to apply? Where did you apply for jobs? What questions did they ask you in the interview? Sort of to give you an impression of like if you're ready and how to prepare. And then every other week I interview like a hiring manager or a senior developer or a recruiter. And I ask them, you know, what are you looking for from developers? So we try and hit it from both sides. You can also check out the Scrimba YouTube channel where I make weekly videos about learning to code and breaking into tech. Awesome. Thank you so much. That is going to be it for us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Modern Web Podcast on learning to code and finding your first developer job. Thank you to our guest, Alex. As always, we say the conversation does not need to stop here. As you heard, you can find Alex on Twitter at Booker Codes. That's B-O-O-K-E-R-C-O-D-E-S. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. As always, thank you as well to our sponsor, Harmon, and we hope to see you all next time. Bye-bye. Come on. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot co slash labs for all of your friends and you